ago, John the Baptist saw Jesus standing along the banks of the Jordan. He pointed his finger and he said these words, Behold the Lamb. But you see, folks, this Lamb isn't just an ordinary Lamb. This Lamb is from God. And this Lamb just doesn't cover, but this Lamb takes sin away. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. That's why today I can say, I'm thankful for the blood. church. Hey man, welcome. So good to see everyone out this morning. We're about ready to get started. Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas and we're able to spend time with your families as we celebrated the birth of our Lord and our Savior. But aren't you glad that the celebration doesn't just stop right there after Christmas Day, but it continues on throughout the year. We celebrate Jesus, our Lord, every day, and we're going to celebrate Him this morning. We're going to worship Him together. I just have one announcement before we open in prayer. Don't forget that with uh, the new year coming in this week, we will not be having service on Wednesday night. So just make a note of that, and we'll see everybody back here on Sunday as we bring in a new year, and we bring in, amen, a new faith and believe in God. I hope you're believing God for great things in 2021. We are. I love the new year, and I love the the. Just just the thought of starting fresh, right, and believing God for great things. We're believing God for revival. We're believing God with you, and uh, we're excited about what God's doing. I want to invite everybody to stand this morning as we open in prayer. 
And let's turn our eyes to the Lord. Let's open our heart this morning. Let's open our mouth this morning. And let's glorify our King today with our worship. Heavenly Father, we love you this morning. Lord God, we thank you for another beautiful day, Lord God. Father, an opportunity to be in your house this morning. God, we come with a great expectation, Lord, this morning. Lord, as we offer our worship to you this morning, Lord God, to meet with you, Lord. And Father, we ask you to move in a mighty way, Lord, in our midst this morning. We pray that you'll touch hearts today, that we'll find encouragement, that you would fill us, Lord, with your peace and your joy, that you would move, Lord God, in the needs of your people today, Lord God. Father, we thank you today for your presence, and we honor you with our worship. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.
love you. We thank you for your faithfulness and your truth. We find a great security, a great comfort as we rest our faith on your faithfulness and your truth. Those things that are forever trustworthy, that we build on, that we stand on, that we hope in. We thank you this day for your faithfulness and your truth. We ask you, Lord, to speak to us through your word and give us a fresh understanding of your heart, of your will, and of your ways, that we in response might be the people you've called us to be in this present hour, your vessels, your voices, your witnesses. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, God bless you. You may be seated. Good morning. Amen. As you turn to 1 Kings 16, thank everyone for their nice Christmas cards and gifts and such kind words written in them. Lord bless you. Thank you for that. Love you dearly. And we want to begin this morning a, a series from the life of Elijah. We'll be here two or three months, so read ahead and get it in your spirit as we walk through this. We want to talk about the prophet Elijah. We'll start with 1 Kings 16. We'll read maybe three verses and jump to the 17th chapter. But starting with verse 30. And this first message is just an overview of his life, an overview of our series to come. And the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 16, and verse 30, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of Sodonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made Nashropole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. Not a good testimony. Not a good testimony. Now as we go to 17 chapter, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite, from Chishba in Gilead, he said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, or literally before whom I stand, before whom I stand, there will be neither, neither dew nor rain for the next few years except at my word. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You'll drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. The times of Elijah were some of the darkest times in Israel's history. The background of something like this, it's been about 58 years since Solomon died. And after Solomon died, the kingdom split a north and a south. Now in the north, seven different kings ruled and one was just worse than the other. And there was just bloodshed, conspiracy, idolatry. Things just got worse and worse. They forgot the Lord. Kings were leading the people astray to worship idols and false gods and to break their covenant and their loyalty to the Lord. And then we see in verse 30, the worst of all was King Ahab. He's the worst of all. He's, re, he, he's, um, he's recorded as the most evil king to sit on Israel's throne. And he provoked the Lord to anger more than all the other kings before him. And on top of that, he marries Jezebel. You've heard that name. She was the daughter of a, 
a foreign king and priest who worshipped Baal, that false god whose worship was, was vile and immoral. And into this dark and dangerous time, God raised up and brought to light a voice and a witness. You see, where Ahab was content with syncretism, which means a mixture of the two, kind of a coexisting, worship the Lord and worship their idols, Jezebel would have none of that. She planned on nothing less than extermination of all the worship of Jehovah. She had broken down his altar. She had killed his priest. And now she is forcing all within the kingdom to worship Baal and forget the Lord completely. So into those dark times, God raised up a very bright light and a strong voice. The prophet Elijah, not many have come out of relative obscurity just to come onto the scene of Bible history. Into the throne of Ahab he came to pronounce the Lord's judgments and to declare the Lord's word. Elijah was something. I mean, he courageously confronted wicked kings and false prophets. He raised the dead, called down fire from heaven. I mean, he was fed by ravens. He never did die. The Bible says he just went up to heaven in a chariot of fire. What a way to go. He risked his life to turn a nation back to the Lord. He was a man of stern character and countenance. He was a man of courage and compassion. And he had an inspiring zeal for the Lord. And we pray God give us some more today. In our text, Elijah finds Ahab. And he delivers the Lord's pronouncement. In contrast to those who were not gods, the idols Ahab foolishly worshipped, the living God, who was truly Israel's king and God, would withhold the dew and the rain for the next several years. There had already been maybe six months of drought, and now God is giving the, the revelation. God is um, revealing to the apostate leadership why this is happening. But the message was clear. Israel had broken covenant with the Lord, and God was calling them to account. We note that, number one, this drought was a sign of divine judgment upon the idolatry in the land. But secondly, it was also a divine demonstration that even though Baal was considered to be the god of the rains, the god of fertility, he was powerless to send rain because only the true and living God controls such things. So in comes Elijah. Let's notice firstly that he was a man that stood before the Lord. First and foremost, we see that in verse 1, before the Lord God, whom I stand. This is interesting. God wants us to stand before him first and foremost. God wants us to put him in first place, seeking first that kingdom, seeking first that righteousness. It's interesting when we note that when God looked for someone to send, he looked beyond the elite schools of the power and the privilege. He went beyond the royals. And he went out to old rugged remote Gilead. And he found him a man. He found a man that didn't come from the schools and the trainings of the elite. But he found one that walked out of the presence of God, birthed with the message of God. A man that stood before God. Literally that means like a master. Uh, a servant that stands before the master. Or a, a soldier that stands before his commander. In the awesome presence of God. He stood. That's why he was so different when he came on the scene. You know, how you stand before God in private will determine how you stand before men in public. I have a sign in my office that said, He who kneels before God can stand before anyone. The great message of Elijah is simply this. God's cause, no matter how bleak the outlook, will never fail. And those who remain faithful to Him will finally, in the end, be vindicated. God's cause. 
No matter how dark the outlook will never fail. And those who remain faithful to Him will finally be vindicated. Now concerning the times of this prophet Elijah and concerning our times, let's just quickly notice a couple of similarities that should give us a present warning. You see, Ahab, he thought that both could be worshipped at the same time. There could be um, no conflict in them coexisting. Because like today, then was an age of contempt for the Word of God. People wanted to make up their own way of worshiping God. They used His name, but they made up their own rules in how they worshipped Him and how they served Him. It's a mixture much like we see today. You hear in the world that people might say, listen, all religions are the same, meaning they can coexist, they can coexist. Others might say there's many ways to heaven. Jesus isn't the only way. There can be a coexisting, there can be a coexisting. Maybe within our circles of church life, maybe you've run into some that would never deny Jesus with their mouths. And they could be fairly comfortable in most religious services. They could sing songs about Him. They would never deny Him with their mouths. But the lies they live deny Him every day when they totally disregard His Word and they totally throw aside the way He has called His people to follow Him. Can you say amen? There's an age of contempt where there's an age of mixture where you can serve Jesus today and live like you want tomorrow. But God would have none of that. We're learning from Elijah in this present hour that some things we should be aware of. Number one is the watering down of the faith to make it acceptable to the age. I had a nickel for every time. Oh, preacher, if you would just ignore this, if you just wouldn't be so strong on that, maybe they could attract them. Well, they get saved and we'll attract a lot of them. Again, it's syncretism. You know, it appears to the natural mind to be an attractive option. But let me tell you something, friend. It's a dead-end street. Because the Bible is as clear as can be. No one can serve two masters. The Bible says it loud and clear that there's only one God. And Him only can we serve. And He will not share us. And He will never allow a coexisting. We see this all the time. We see it in the political realm. When they'll sing Amazing Grace when it suits them. And then they'll abort babies with the next breath when they vote on that. And we think that somehow the two things can coexist that I could sing Amazing Grace and enter a church and say, Praise the Lord, brother, and then go out and live any way I want and totally disregard and have contempt for the Word of God that clearly calls me to live a certain way if I call on the name of the true and living God. Elijah was in a day of great syncretism, great mixture. People didn't know where to go. They wanted to play with both. Beware of the terrible temptation of doing something because it's popular and expedient. Because it's easy. Because it's the path of least resistance. Everyone's doing it after all. I mean, the majority are into it. It is a changing world. But not all the changes are good. Thank God for every good change. Thank God for everything that is a positive change in a society, in a nation. Wonderful, wonderful. But not every change is a good change when it doesn't line up with the Word of God. The fact is, foundations are being destroyed. But they're true and living God. He never changes. And His Word cannot be amended. His Word cannot be altered by man or by the times. I'll never forget years ago, in between college semesters, I was working on, in between job at a place called Union Fork and Hoe. They made um, shovels. And it was, it, it was rough work. And during one of those little five-minute breaks they give you at the water fountain, Guy in front of me, a Harley guy, Harley-looking guy. He cussed, he cussed. And he turned around, he saw us, a young kid that was going to what they would consider seminary, and he apologized. 
And then he said something so sincere. <laughs> he looked at me and said, you know, they ought to change the rules about cussing. <laughs> I mean, he was sincere. He goes, but no, really. He looks at me in the middle of the water fountain, the line, and the guy goes, really? I mean, when I was growing up, you had to cuss just to be a man. They ought to change the rules about cussing. Well, I didn't have much smarts. Got less now, but well, God gave me help. And I just looked and said, you know, you're right. Times have changed, but you know what? God hasn't changed. I said, man, he's just as holy today as it was 2,000 years ago. And he's the one we're trying to please, aren't, isn't it? He looked and said, yeah, you got a point, preacher. You got a point. Oh, my goodness, my goodness. You'll see the whole setting as we go through these next few months. Jezebel wanted totally to extinguish all worship. Ahab is like many today. He thought they could coexist. We live in that. Our culture lives in that in a strong way. Well, we can, uh, some are members of a church, but their lifestyles certainly please and worship another God. They come to places and they can act like they're part of the group, but get them outside the group and they can certainly worship another moral standard and walk according to another rule. Mm. Why study Elijah? This first sermon, like we said, is just an overview. So let me give you five reasons why I get encouraged studying the life of this fiery prophet. Number one, I'm encouraged because Elijah encourages me to believe in the promise of revival. The promise of revival. This is the hope of the nation, of the church, and of the world. Elijah's times were dark, yet God still moved. It was into a moral midnight that Elijah walks on the scene. He's uninvited, he's uncalled for, his message is not wanted, yet God still moved. He moved and he turned the hearts of multitudes back into himself. God, do it again. It was a time when wickedness prevailed. It was a time when the Word of God was rejected, treated with contempt. Yet God still moved to turn things around in that era. And I'm encouraged that if He moved in those times, thank God He can move in these times. I still believe what the Bible says in Second Chronicles 7.14, that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, If they'll seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Friend, that's the formula of God. That's not something that man has made up. That is the formula, the conditions that God Almighty has put in His Word. I tell you, that won't fail. It'll work every time. It'll work in a life. It'll work in a family or a marriage. It'll work in a church. It'll work in a nation. Many of you here today, you test It works, it works. For you at one time were astray. You at one time were worshiping gods of another moral standard. But finally you had enough and you came to Christ and you said, Jesus, I surrender. I'm turning from my wicked ways and I'm calling on Your name and I'm giving You my life. And into Your brokenness came the healing power of Christ. Into Your transgressions came the cleansing power of the Gospel. I want someone to know that you can have a revival in your life. You can have a revival in your family. When I speak of revival, I'm not just talking about a big old Billy Graham crusade. I'm talking that even in individual lives, God will visit you. God will work in you. If you meet God's conditions, God will work powerfully in your life. Elijah's time was a time of backsliding. It was a time of moral compromise, spiritual darkness. The moral compass of a nation had been crushed, but God moved. And I believe That if men will meet God's conditions, He can and He will do it again. He'll do it again and He'll do it for you. 
the promise of revival, that the God we serve still intervenes in the affairs of men. I believe that. I believe that when men get serious with God, God will get serious with them. The greatest problem is not that God can't do it. The greatest problem is that men are not getting serious with God. If you'll get serious with God, He'll get serious with you. If you play games with God, that's all you'll get. You'll blame this one. You'll blame that one. You'll blame it on everyone else. But I want you to know this God that we serve, His mercies are new every morning. He's rich in grace. He's great in compassion. And if you'll mean business with Him, He'll mean business with you. If you'll make a stand for Him, He'll come into your life. He'll heal. He'll forgive. He'll restore. He'll revive. He's a God of a new beginning. He's the God of a second chance. But it demands a response from men to meet His conditions and respond to His call. Somebody say Amen. Never forget the story from church history of that great German reformer, Martin Luther. Back in the 1500s, he went through some dark days of depression. After a few days of going through that, his wife decided to dress all in black walk around the house as if she was in mourning. After this went on for a while, Martin asked her, Woman, who died? She replied, I thought God had, by the way, you've been carrying on. You know, friend, because I believe, and I know many of you believe, in the promise of revival, even when things look dark and depressing, we know that God is not dead. And we know that no matter how dark it seems, there is a hope. There is a way, there is an answer, there is a God, the living God, the living God, the living God. He still intervenes in the affairs of man. He'll still work in your life. He can still heal your marriage. He can still bring back the wayward child. He can still heal that thing that the doctors have given up hope. He's a great God. He's a mighty God. He's the almighty God. Jesus is your answer. Jesus is your answer. Call on Him. Respond to Him. And your life will never be the same. I believe in the promise of revival. When I study Elijah, it encourages me because man, times were bad. They're trying to kill everyone that calls on the name of Jehovah. Times are bad. Baal worship was wicked. It included basically pornography and everything vile you could think of. It was bad. It was bad. But into that moral cesspool, as God had found himself some people that would cry out to him and stand for him. God moved even in such a time. And if He did it then, He can do it now. He can do it in a family. He can do it in a church. He can do it in a community. He can do it in a nation. Secondly, Elijah encourages me to see the potential of one person of faith. Mm. Friend, you can make a difference right where you're at. You can make a difference in your world. You might feel at times like you're the only one in your circle that really loves God, that's really trying to live properly for God. But you can stand. And if you do, God will use you right where you're at. You can be an agent of change. You can be an instrument in the Master's hand. In the midst of a perverse generation, in the midst of maybe a non-supportive family, in the midst of a corrupt workplace or a school system, don't underestimate the power of one person of faith. Not just one person, but one person of faith. One person of daring devotion and dedication to Jesus Christ. Second Chronicles 16 and verse 9. God speaks this. He says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth 
to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal or faithful to him. The prophet is speaking to a king that at one time was a faithful king. But then a fresh challenge came and he gave in to the fear and he tried to compromise his way out of the dilemma. He tried to cut corners morally to get out of the situation he was in. And God saw him and God's heart was grieved. And God reminded this king, listen, don't you realize that the eyes of the Lord go out throughout the earth? And I recognize and I'm attracted to and I move towards those who stand firm for me. I see everything. When I see someone standing firm for me, I'm drawn to that person. I grant special grace to that person. I come with my power and anointing and I stand with that person. It's a beautiful thought here. Elijah encourages us to see the potential of one person of faith. God says, I didn't need an army. I don't need a multitude. If I could find one man or one woman with they be young or old that will believe me and stand with me and faithfully serve me. I look for a man to stand in the gap. I look for a woman that would stand for truth. I look for a young person that would be firm and not go the way of everyone else. If I could find a person, I can work through a person. If I could find just one person, I can work through that person. Elijah was just a man, but he was a man of faith. I want to say it again. Never, never, never underestimate the power of one person of faith and you can be that person wherever you're at if you'll stand for Jesus Jesus will stand with you just if you'll believe God if you'll refuse the coward of the temptation if you'll give up on this modern thing of blending in and melting in and make a firm choice wherever you are wherever you go you're going to be bold and sincere in your love and service to Jesus Christ God says if I could just find a man or a woman that'll be faithful. I'll recognize them. I'll stand with them. And I'll use them. Friend, God will use you right where you are. You might be the only one in that workplace that says the name of Jesus and it's not a cuss. But God says if you'll stand, I'll use you to touch lives. You might be the only one in your family that really serves God. I know they all sing Amazing Grace when it's apropos. But I mean anyone that goes to church and anyone that lives according to that book And God says, if you'll allow me to speak through you, I'll use you. You know, revivals can come to families as well as they can come to churches. We think revivals getting all hooped up, run up and down there. Woo, we had a revival. Then they all backslide a week later. No, you can have revival in your family. Some of you are here today. God gave you a revival in your family. Your marriage was on the rocks. Things were going due south. But someone heard the cry of God. Someone responded. And God moved. You're looking around and you see the results. What? Of God revival reviving a marriage, of God reviving a home. God can do it in churches. I know some churches, even the headquarters thought that church is just about over. They don't have much hope. But oh, God breathed His breath of life. And God can still restore and revive those things that are weakened and broken. Don't give up hope. Instead, stand tall and let God know if you can use anybody, you can use me. Jesus, if you can use anybody, you can use me. I'll do my part to trust. I'll do my part to obey. I'll do my part to be unashamed. Then, Lord, speak through me and touch through me and shine through me. And God will use your life in ways you never, ever expect. Somebody say amen. Oh, Elijah, just a man, but a man of faith. Oh, say it again. Sometimes the young people might think there's nothing they can do in their school or in their prayer group. 
feeling outnumbered. They're trying to do their best to go this way and the world is marching somewhere else and they're believing and trying to live up to the righteous standard, but it feels like it's overwhelming. What can I do? I'm here to tell you. Don't ever underestimate the power of one person of faith. A person that will stay true to God. Daring to be different. Daring to live properly. Even if others don't like it or others don't understand it. Someone courageous enough and committed enough to love the Lord Jesus and not be ashamed of the Gospel. Such a person, young or old, God will use to affect the world and you can be that person. And older saints, regardless of your surroundings, keep the holy standard. Don't back down from this Bible. I know we can get along with a lot of people if we threw this Bible out. Oh, we, 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 we get everyone slap on the back. We just threw this Bible out. We, we cut down a lot of flack. We just threw this Bible out. But how do you know that's non-negotiable? Everybody know that? Keep a visible testimony. And there will be no limit to what God can do in your life. Your workplace needs it. Your extended family needs it. Your immediate family needs it. Some of the greatest mission fields. They got your last name. Let God use you. Elijah was one person, but he was God's person. And God used him to be a bright light in a very dark time and place. And He'll use you if you let Him. Somebody tell God, I will be your person. Just let Him know, Lord, if you can use anyone, you can use me. I will be your person. I get encouragement from this story of Elijah. I like him, something about his guts. Even as a young guy in in Sunday school, I like guts. You know what I mean? I never would have been turned on to Christianity if it was a weak thing. I never, that just didn't appeal to me. But even as a young one, the men, we had some good men in our church. I mean, they were strong men. I saw them serve God and they were bold and they were strong men. And something about that appealed to me. Something about Elijah appeals to me. I love it. He encouraged me to believe in the promise of revival. God can change things. God can turn things around. God can melt the hardest hearts. God can heal the most broken life. God can bring a lukewarm congregation into a place of sincere devotion, wholehearted fervor for Jesus Christ. Oh, what a God, what a God, what a God, what a God we serve. God, it encourages me to see the potential of one person of faith. We always think God needs an army. No, God just needs someone yielded. He just needs a vessel. He just needs an instrument. Give him a living sacrifice and look out. Watch out. Elijah encourages me to see the power of prayer. Looking at James 5 and 17. James 5 and 17. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain for some three years. Elijah was a man just like us. We'll touch on that later. But he prayed earnestly. He was a man of prayer. Common men and common women can live and do uncommon things for God if they'll give themselves to prayer. Elijah's power came through prayer. And God still answers prayer, friends. Hence, we have to be a people determined and disciplined in our prayers. This demands time. This demands effort. But think of Elijah's situation for a moment. Jezebel and Ahab had thrown down God's altars. They had slain his servants, replaced them with idolatrous priests. Elijah's soul must have been vexed. It must have been grieving. It must have been broken in anguish. But what can he do? Outgunned, outnumbered, illegal. 
He was just, as one writer said, an uncultured child of the desert. He didn't have any political pull. He didn't have any big degrees or titles. He had no influence in the natural. Just an uncultured child of the desert. And the more he thought about it, the more difficult the situation must have seemed. No doubt Satan whispers in his ear, there's nothing you can do. Hey, look at this. It's hopeless. Look at how bad things are. Look at it. Everyone's going the other way. They don't even want to hear you. What could you do? Well, there was one thing you could do. There's one thing every believer can do. And he did. He could pray. And he did pray. He prayed earnestly. He prayed fervently. He prayed passionately. He prayed with a perseverance and an endurance. And he prayed. He prayed because he knew that the Lord still reigned. And Jehovah God was the Almighty God. And with Him nothing is too hard. We can pray because we know we pray in a God that is alive and almighty. He's a God that has no limits and knows no boundaries. He's a God that can move powerfully in the present hour if He's wanted or if He's not. He prayed because He knew the Lord still reigned. He prayed because He felt within Himself His own weakness, His own insufficiency. He knew in Himself He was hopeless. He knew in Himself. So He turned to the One that was able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. He knew in Himself He was frail and limited. So He called on the One that was able and He was mighty. There's power in prayer. Even in the face of seemingly impossible situations and like Elijah prayed and like the early church prayed, we must pray. And if we do, the fire will fall again, ladies and gentlemen. If we do, hearts will break before the presence of God once again. Lives will mend to be made whole once again. Streams, altars be filled with tears streaming down repentant hearts once again. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, if they'll seek my face and turn from the compromise and turn from all these other things, God says, I will hear and I will answer and I will forgive and I will heal because I am the Lord thy God. The life of Elijah, it encourages me. Something daring about him. There's something that inspires or should stir our faith to believe God like he did. He stood for the most times alone. But he stood coming out of the presence of God. He faced numbers that were greater than himself. But he faced them with a courage and a confidence knowing that the Lord, his God, was with him. And the message he had to preach was not something he made up, but something he had received and something he would faithfully declare. The life of Elijah encourages me to believe the promises of revival, to see the potential of one person of faith, to again believe and remember the power of prayer. The life of Elijah encourages me to see the purpose of, of God's Word in our lives. Pay attention as you read through the story. As you see over and over again, Elijah is constantly receiving instruction and direction from the Word of God. Over and over it says, And the Word of the Lord came to Elijah, and he obeyed it, and God blessed him. For example, for example, looking at verse 2, Then the Word of the Lord came to Elijah, and God gives him his instructions. Verse 5, So he did what the Lord told him. And he went and God fed him. And we see this throughout, throughout the Scripture. You see, God still guides His servants by His Word. 
I'm encouraged. We can live in days and hours that seem confusing, that seem dark, that seem mysterious. But we don't stumble about in the dark. We're not people without a guide. We're not people without the light of God's Word. God has given us His Word. I don't got to wait for an audible voice. He's given me a written Scripture that I can read and I can walk according to. The Bible says, Order my steps by Thy Word. The Bible says, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. Let's look at that one, Jimmy. Psalm 119. Again, I notice this about Elijah. Though he was a great prophet, he was led as he heard the Word and obeyed the Word. And if we're going to walk in this crazy world, if we're going to walk without stumbling or moving into deception in this present age of lies and deceptions, we must be men and women of the Word of God. We must be men and women that read the Bible, that love the Bible, that give ourselves to walk and obey the truths of the Bible. Thy Word is a lamp to my feet, and a light from my path. Hey, in a day where there was no flashlights, no headlights, no whatever lights, when it got dark, it got dark. Can you say amen? And, and, and the illustration the psalmist gives, it can be pitch dark, but one thing that keeps me from stumbling, from going down the wrong path, from tripping over all the snares that hell has, is Your Word. And as we give ourselves to the Word, it gives us light that we can walk firmly, that we can live and walk accurately, that we don't have to be swayed or deceived or tripping up all the time. So many mistakes men make is so clear if you just give yourself to the Word of God. If you just clearly walk in obedience to what God has instructed, you can save yourself a lot of bumps, a lot of bruises, a lot of wrong pathways, a lot of oh, I zigged when I should have zagged. His Word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. I'm encouraged and I learned that the prophets of God and men and women of God that walked in times that were dark and difficult where there was morally corrupt and people were saying right is wrong and wrong is right, but they walked faithfully as they listened to God and obeyed God. As they read the Word and walked in the Word. May we do the same. Elijah's story encourages me. It challenges me. It inspires me. God needs some more today. God, we live in an age blending and blending and blending in. We, we, we justify blending in. I don't think Jesus is all this pleased with a lot of this blending in. I think He wants people that aren't ashamed to say, I'm living for Jesus. And it's not a mystery how to live for Him. He gives us a book. And He clearly says, this is right and that's wrong. I'm going to live that way. And if we'll do that, God says, I can use that life. I can use that life. I am encouraged to believe the promise of revival. God will revive your life. God will revive your home. If you meet God's conditions, God will work in your life. He's not willing that any perish. He wants to save lives. He wants to restore lives. He wants to work in communities. He wants to work in churches. But we must meet the conditions of God. But if we'll be faithful to do that, God is faithful to honor His Word. I see that in the story of Elijah. But I also see the potential of one person of faith. And that encourages us as we walk through life. We gather together and we got support. Then we leave and you don't have a lot of support. And whether you're at a job or whether you're in a family that doesn't love God, you sometimes you feel like you're the only one. And you might feel that way, but you're not the only one, but the Lord's with you. And if you have the courage and obedience to stand up for the Lord properly, God says, I'll use your life to touch others. 
Wouldn't it be great? You know, you can get a revival in your family. Hey, wouldn't it be wonderful a year from now? When you come to church, there are three, four other people from your family coming to church with you that have ignored God and denied God and just been living for their own selves. See, you can have a revival in your own family if we believe God and call on God. I see the power of prayer in this story. The power of prayer is a principle from the beginning to end in the Word of God. And if we want to see God move, we must give ourselves to determined, dedicated, devoted prayer. There's no other way around it. It won't happen just because we feel bad. It's not enough just to curse the darkness. We've got to pray for God's light to shine. I get encouraged to see the purpose of God's Word. That's good to know. Where there's so much false and so much arguing and so much what is this, we have been given a book that God has made clear the things that matter most. God has made perfectly clear the principles that He expects His people to live by. Lastly, the story of Elijah encourages us to believe in our possibilities with God. Friend, God wants to use your life. God wants to use your life. God wants to use your life. You know, from the time you were born, yea, even from before that time, God has watched over your life. And you might look back and say, Lord, what about this and what about that? Even then, God was watching over your life. And so as you face a season in life where you're wondering about this and wondering about that, who will help me? What should I do? God says, I'm still watching over your life. I have not failed. There's never been a moment in your life that I have failed to notice you and know you and love you and watch over you. And as I've led you to this point, I will lead you in this next thing. I will show you the way to go. I'll bring you the help you need. Don't worry about what your name is. Don't worry about what your past is. But just rest. And find refreshing knowing that you are a son, you are a daughter of the living God who is committed to your care and who will lead you and guide you and use you wonderfully as you continue to give yourself to Him. Elijah encourages us to believe in our possibilities with God. I love James 5 and 17 as it begins. Elijah was a man just like us. I feel better about that. I like him right off when I hear that. What are you talking? I can't relate to Superman. Never could. Give me someone with a floor or two. Now you're talking. I can't. I can't relate to Mr. Perfect. Me and him never walked the same street. You give me someone that needs the grace of God a couple times a day. Uh, that's my guy. I can uh, now. I can get him. And it says right here, Elijah was a man just like us. King James, Elijah was a man of like passions. He got tired. He got frustrated. He got discouraged. He got lonely. He was imperfect. Yet God used him. Man, that's my kind of man. I can't relate to Superman. You see what I mean? You give me someone who's got a battle with a temper every now and again. Give me someone that's got to overcome impatience, you know, you know, a lot. Ah, now you're talking. You mean God still uses them even though they weren't perfect? Oh, praise God he does. Where would we be? He was a righteous man, but not a perfect man. He wasn't a flawless man, but he was a faithful man. You write this down, you get this. The biggest problem people have with growing in God has nothing to do with God's insufficiency. It has nothing to do with their own flaws. It has everything to do with their lack of faithfulness. If you've got faithfulness, God will change your life. 
If you show up, God will make you different. Many of us here walk with God a lot of years, a lot of years, a lot of years. And if we're honest, we look back and say, Lord, you brought us a mighty long way. We didn't start out like this. We look back and say, man, Lord, we really have changed. And it wasn't because some hotshot preacher waved a magic wand and we were changed. It just came gradually as we faithfully just served God, walked with God, and little by little, he smoothed out this thing, he healed that thing, he changed that thing. We don't know where exactly it came from, but as faithfulness, see, faithfulness, your faithfulness allows God to work his good work in your life. (sighs) Faithfulness, your faithfulness, my faithfulness. Gives God the chance. Most people that never get it right with God have never given God a chance. They can't give him a day of a week. But if you give God a chance, God is so willing to restore. God is so willing to revive. God is so willing to make whole. God's heart, God's heart is great. He desires your good more than you desire your good. He's not willing that any perish. He wants all to be saved. He wants lives to be healed. He wants marriages to be strong. He wants men and women to be spiritually healthy. But if you don't let them work with you, you limit the hand of God. What do I got to do? I just respond and His mercy is there. I just keep coming and the grace is there. And you'll wake up one day and you realize, wow, Lord, you really have done a good work. You really have done a lot of these things. Just in response to faithfulness. This last part, it encourages me to believe in our possibilities with God. As though Elijah was a man of faults, yet God got a hold of him. And God wants to get a hold of us. Friend, we need to let God get a hold of us. We need to let God. That's what I'm trying to say about faithfulness. See, if I give myself to God, I let God get a hold of me. That's the key. In the new year, what a great response. Lord, I make a fresh altar of consecration. Lord, I give myself afresh to you. Lord, I'm going to let you get a hold of me. Lord, I'm going to give myself to you in a fresh commitment and surrender. Use me as you desire. Work in me as you want. I'm going to do my part to be faithful and obedient. Lord, take my life. For there are limitless possibilities in the life that's yielded to the Savior. There's no telling what God can do in a life or through a life that is sincerely yielded to Him. That living sacrifice God can use in amazing, amazing ways. I read a story some years ago of a preacher from England. This is going back some time, but this preacher, true story, he had a nervous twitch. He had a nervous, he had a gland problem, and it caused a nervous twitch. And you can imagine that being a little embarrassing or distracting as you try to speak in public. God used him, God used him, but he almost gave up. Early on, he almost gave up. And then someone in the congregation must have slipped a note in the offering plate with a simple little line that said, God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. And that goes for you and that goes for me. God can hit, I think he's thinking about cricket. Them Brits like cricket. God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick. And that's you and that's me. 
earthen vessels. We got our flaws. But if we'll do our part to be faithful, if we'll give ourselves in a real surrender, there's no telling what God can do with that life. What a God we serve. What a God we serve. Now, next week, we're going to talk about what made Elijah like he was. And we're going to go to that brook Cherith, and we're going to call it the boot camp of faith. The boot camp of faith. But this morning, friend, God is looking for Elijah's in this present hour. Will you be one? Will you be a man or woman wholly devoted to the Lord your God? Someone that will serve him, not just in the sanctuary, but out there in the community as you walk with God. Now, as we pray our prayer, let's just, um, New Year's coming up. Let's make a fresh surrender. Let's make a fresh surrender. Any preconceived ideas, lay them down. Any preconceived ideas, put them at the altar. And let's just wipe the slate clean and say, Lord, I'm yours. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. And I promise you, Lord, I'll do my part to be faithful and obedient. Use my life. Can we do that? That's how we're going to pray at the end, and then we'll dismiss. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we respond to your word. Thank you for the example of Elijah. Recognizing you used him, you can use us. And that's all, Lord. You've done so much for us that we want to respond by giving our lives wholeheartedly to you. Father, we offer ourselves to you. Use us as your vessels, as your voices, and as your witness. Help us to faithfully do our part in this present hour for the cause of the Lord Jesus, for the cause of the one we love and hold so dear. Oh, Father, help us to do our part in this present age and in this present hour. And Father, I pray right now for those that have special needs. Might be some people here today that are just weary and feeling a bit exhausted. Father, I pray that you'd give them a fresh filling. Oh God, as they look up to you and just say, Lord, I'm thirsty. Lord, I'm thirsty. I'm getting weary. Fill me. Father, fill them afresh. Give them a new strength. Give them a new peace. Give them a new divine energy to face whatever they got to face and do it in the power and the strength and the joy of the Lord, which is their strength. Father, I pray for those that might need a healing touch. Some might have walked in with a bad report from the doctor. Some might have walked in and they're feeling something coming on them. Father, in the name of Jesus, touch those that are hurting. Heal the hurting as you refresh the weary. Lord Jesus, lay your hands on your people as they look to you, those that are hurting. Lord Jesus, Lay your hands on them. Let your healing power flow. Right now, let that thing begin to disintegrate for the glory of God. Right now, let that thing just begin to lessen and lessen and lessen for the glory of God. Right now, let there be an impartation, a working, a good, sovereign working of the power of God. Father, I pray for those that We're facing deadlines and decisions. They need wisdom. They need your thought. They need you to make a way. Father, in Jesus' name, as your people seek you, give them the wisdom. As your people trust you, go before them. Make a way. Expose the lie. Expose the false. 
Remove every barrier that would try to hinder them from going forward in your good and perfect will. And grant this moment a divine peace, a peace, a keeping peace, a steadying peace, a resting peace that will enable them to walk and not be affected by the pressures and the threats and the challenges. The ability to navigate calmly, consistently, knowing the Lord their God has gone before them. And he is working all things together for their good. And that we find great rest and that we find eternal hope. Heavenly Father, please bless these dear ones. Each and every precious life that's here this morning. Father, bless them. Father, fill them. Father, use them. Let this be a year. As we make that fresh surrender, you'll use us as those living sacrifices to do your will, to do your work, to change our world. Let us be that vessel. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing this song one time through. And as we do, let's worship the Lord. Let's just offer ourselves and then we'll be dismissed.